1: Has there ever been a home where you've noticed there's something different about that place? Maybe you couldn't quite put your finger on it. Maybe it was your own home and you know why that presence was there. Or maybe it was a friend or family member as you were growing up or there was a little bit of peace in a sanctuary. Today's topic is, in fact, a book newly released, actually just released this week, The Theology of the Home, written by our dear guest we've had before. She's the author of the book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, talking about the idea of toxic femininity and bringing true femininity back into the culture. And now she's a co-author of the recent book, Theology of the Home. Welcome, Dr. Gress. Thank you. It's so nice to be back on your show. So, Carrie Gress, along with a handful of other women, have put together this collaborative project. And, you know, some people might think okay, The Theology of the Home, it's this beautiful tabletop book with fabulous photos and talking about themes of light and comfort and tying in Our Lady and faith and the Eucharist. This book is one that will touch, I think, so dearly. On the hearts of so many women, and it's a palatable book. Can you tell us what inspired you to write this? Mm
2: -hmm. You know, uh, the idea for actually the idea of theology of home actually struck me on my treadmill, of all places. I was listening to the song, and it was about going home, and you know, it was just it it struck me that that's what all of us are trying to do. We're all trying to just get home to be at home with God, the Father in heaven. Um, That's the goal of all of our Christian life, and we want that for our children and our families. And so, it just struck me like that, and then compared to our own homes and this desire that I think so many of us have to ha- feel like our homes are kind of this sanctuary where they're a reflection, really, of heaven, and, and you know, obviously in a very small way, but um, in any event, so that it was kind of that key idea that, that came to me, and then it just from there sort of developed into something much bigger. But I I, had, I just love the idea of looking at the, the fact that our homes are so important to us, and, you know, we're spending... $450 billion annually to renovate our homes or to remodel them and um, decorate them. So uh, homes are kind of a big deal, and yet we're not connecting them back up, of course, with that desire that we have for our eternal home. But I think that it's there. I think it's implicit in you know everyone's soul. Um, so it was great to find this way to really reach women in particular. That's kind of this universal language that I'll, I'll, so many of us, Speak to one another um, without the spiritual element, but I think that we are desiring the spiritual element. So it was um, that was kind of the heart of the idea: was how do we bring all of this back to to God and and how our homes are meeting this desire for Him and for heaven and, and, and so on. But I, I it, you mentioned it's it's illustrated, and that was really just the funnest part to write a book that certainly has some rich text in it. But also has these amazing, amazing photographs that I think kind of speak for us. And even though the pictures, we you know we did things purposefully that you can't really, you don't really see in women's magazines today. Things like pregnant women and big families and lots of children and um, homes with religious icons or statues of Our Lady and those kinds of things that I think um, are prevalent among those of us who are living the faith. And yet um, we're certainly not seeing them in the mainstream culture. So it was all of that tied into, you know, tied together that just came together in this book really in in such a fun, fun way.
1: My guest today is Dr. Carrie Grass. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Here's why this book matters so much. As I was reading and preparing for this, interview with you, Dr. Gress, I had a dear friend who ended up having their first child this past week. And in the hours leading up to the birth in anticipation, they ended up reaching out in a kind of a group text to all of my immediate family. And they were talking about how when they thought about what they wanted their future to be like, what their home would look like, they started talking about how they would transport themselves back to our backyard growing up and the time mm-hmm. they spent with us. And what stood out to me is I just thought it was so incredible to see how they were welcoming new life into the world. And yeah, our home was that gift of where they kind of set their ideal and for as perfect and imperfect as families can be two things that stood out to me, whether or not, you know, these friends knew this was, what was always prevalent within our home was faith and an unwaveringly a kind of an unwavering attitude toward the affirmation of human life, starting in the womb. But, you know, it filters with faith into the joy of the day to day, both through thick and thin, joy and sorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's what your book is really speaking to. And I would love mm-hmm. for you to talk about this and in correlation with St. Elizabeth Ann Seton that you mentioned in the book. Mm-hmm yeah no, I,
2: I love that story. I think that's that's fantastic, and that really is just truly at the heart of this this whole project. yeah, I, I think that there's we mentioned Elizabeth Banseton in, in the book. um you know, we go there's several chapters and we talk about the key elements of home, things like light and comfort and safety and nourishment. And you know, of course, we can connect all of these things up with our faith in a very rich way as well. there you know these these elements exist on a natural material level they also exist on a spiritual level. And so we were trying to weave those concepts together, and we didn't want this book to come across as, you know, a set of sermons or or some, you know, deep theological ideas where you're, you're left feeling like you have homework to do to re- get through this book, but we just really wanted them to be kind of beautiful meditations that you could just take with you and sort of incorporate in your life. But we also didn't want people to think that their homes had to be incredibly lavish or have a tremendous amount of money spent to make them yeah, beautiful and to make them compelling and make them feel you know wonderful like your your family's backyard. And my my favorite story that I ran across when I was researching this was Elizabeth Ann Seaton who her husband was dying of tuberculosis and so she and her one of her children, her eldest daughter, they went to Italy and they ended up being quarantined because they thought that he had the yellow fever or something he had tuberculosis. But um, they were quarantined in this um, drafty, drafty brick building structure home, and um, basically it had, I think she said something like a mattress and a water pitcher and nothing else, and it was at this place where they spent you know, well over a month, and these are the last days of his life, and she talks really purposefully about how important this time in this home was um, partially because she didn't have the distraction of her other children that she could be completely attentive to his soul Um, but she says this was really the place where she helped prepare him to go home and you know it was absolutely meager and they had this smoking fireplace that made you can imagine how it made his tuberculosis worse and he ended up dying six days after they got out of the quarantine time period. But it was just a beautiful reflection that she gives of, you know, this time and this hovel of a home. You know, none of us would, in, in our current age, can even relate to living in that kind of poverty, I think. And yet, you know, she talked about it as such a treasure and, you know, the beauty of it and how it was really this amazing place where she helped her husband, you know, get, be prepared to go go home to, to God the Father. Um, so I love those all of those contrasts that, you know, yes, the material is very important in our lives, and, and, um, you know, we can obviously get to a point where we're abusing that, but we also have to recognize how important it is uh, just for the day-to-day to to love our families, and, you know, I even go back to thinking about how, what a powerful force women have been evangelizing others, and it was predominantly, you know, middle to upper-class women, because back in the day, the the poor women were just trying to find food. Um, But it was these women that had some means that they were able to share with others and pass on the faith with others. So thinking of someone like St. Monica um, and St. Augustine, or St. Helen and her family, or um, St. Cecilia, all these amazing saints. You know, the faith didn't just stay with them, but it was passed through husbands and children and neighbors and all of those whose lives they touched, and um, so I I think that we have to think about ourselves that way within a context of a home and not think that we need to live in this kind of poverty or austerity, and yet if we do live in that, God can work through that in very rich ways, too, so it's, it's kind of exciting to see all these different ways that God can work through our lives, you know, through our homes and our families.
1: You're listening to Trending with Timory, My guest is Dr. Carrie Gress, the author of the new book or co-author of the new book, The Theology of the Home. What stands out so much in your book and in the story of St. Elizabeth Ancine is, as you really mentioned, this hovel that she's living in, caring for her husband at the end of his life and what it leads to. We'll dive into it a little bit down the road today, but how it speaks to where we are. It's so easy for us to be dissatisfied with what we feel we Mm -hmm. don't have in our home. You know, that lack of blankets, Mm -hmm. that new utensil, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be for serving Mm -hmm. the pretty tea set or, you know, Mm -hmm. the new project, the bigger space, whatever it might be, how there's this dissatisfaction on one level for what we have. But then on the other level, this book also speaks to being satisfied where you're at And then at the same time, it confronts kind of the topic of how so many women are searching for this meaning, yet there's outside of the home, yet there's sanctification that's occurring day in and day out Mm -hmm. in the mundane tasks Mm -hmm. of caring for each other.
2: Yeah, no, and I I think that was an insight that, you know, this is my seventh book. I wrote this book called um, Ultimate Makeover, The Transforming Power of Motherhood. And in that book, I go really deeply into how it is that the motherhood prepares us to be outrageously beautiful women of wisdom and you know, kind of those those matriarchs that I think are really hard to find now. Um, and I, I look go into that. So, of course, that's all in the back of my mind as I'm writing this book. And then the other reality of, of my book, The Anti-Mary, where I just looked at how much motherhood and virginity are maligned and how important these pieces truly are for us um, to go back to God, to, to have this relationship with Him that we all desire. Um, and, but you know, Betty Friedan speaks of that ache with no name. Well, when she wrote The Feminine Mystique 50 years ago, or uh, however many years ago it was, she was talking basically about this desire that we all have for God, and yet we've forgotten that's what this fundamental desire that all of us have, and so women are going everywhere in search of, how do I fill this hole in my heart? And yet, that hole can be filled so easily in terms of this this relationship that we have with God and knowing what we've been tasked with, you know, what it is that we have to do, which is, of course, you know, we have this gift of children. Obviously, not all of us are called to that, and obviously there's a huge aspect of spiritual motherhood that I think we neglect as a culture as well. But it's downplayed a lot, and, I, and it's very hard. In fact, I know just as a homemaker, what a challenge it can be um, to feel like your your work has any worth. And um, so I, I think it's very challenging. And yet, if we look at all of these elements of home, the culture loves elements of home. The culture is thrilled about elements of home, and yet we're not connecting that up with what a homemaker does and these gifts that we are giving to those that we love. Um, again, coming back to this idea of nourishment and comfort and hospitality, all these elements that we love to experience, and we we love to see other people do them on TV, <laughs> in magazines, um, and yet sort of connecting the dots that there's something really intrinsically beautiful about being a homemaker I think we haven't done yet as a culture. And so that's one of the goals, of course, of this book is sort of how do we make these pieces fit again when we have this loud voice in the culture that says motherhood is bad and staying at home with your children is bad and you must be stupid. You know, there's all kinds of, of ways that this is expressed, and yet... Um, it's a very real element that I think we need to, it's a lot, you know, it's a lie we need to stop listening to.
1: Let's hit on one of those topics. Let's talk about nourishment and the importance of both Mm -hmm. spiritual nourishment and food in the book.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, this is obviously an an incredibly obvious um, point is, you know, talking about food. I mean, there's so much that happens around food and, and, um, you know, there's some great discussion of it's not so much, the cooking of the food, but what happens around that table. And um, one of my favorite pieces in the book is to talk about how we mentioned, um, you know, we can't always get people to go to church, but we can usually pretty easily get somebody to come to our home for dinner. And just how powerful it is when someone on the outside comes to a home where the family loves each other and they're ordered and they're striving for holiness— Um, what that does to outsiders. And, you know, I was able to speak to this so easily because of the fact that I had experiences as a young woman. I I moved to Washington, D.C., and um, there was a family in Charlottesville, Virginia, about two hours south of D.C. that really kind of adopted me. And so I would go down there on weekends, and it was just an amazing thing for me to be around this family. And every Saturday night, they would do a set of prayers and have this beautiful dinner called the Lord's Day, and every member of the family and the guests would all mention what they were grateful for in the week, and they would share bread and wine, and it was just this incredible experience, I think, as a single woman to sort of see, you know, like your friend's experience of your backyard, you know, just what a family can look like and and how transforming those moments can be. And and I think even what I experienced, too, was this sense of knowing myself better through that um, through those relationships and I would come away feeling wholer and healthier. And, um, you know, there was just something very healing about that kind of dynamic, I think. And, and, but we also, again, as Catholic women, we kind of think, well, I, I don't have, you know, all the beautiful cutlery or I can't always make my napkins match or I don't even want to iron my napkins, you know, who knows what, what's <laughs> the reasons may be. But we let those things get in the way I think often of being hospitable, um, when, when we could bring people into our homes that aren't going to notice a the napkin, they're just going to be so grateful to being around an intact and healthy family. And um, you know that's just such a rare thing anymore. Um, and, and again, it's this, this, the physical nourishment's happening, but there's a, there's so many more things happening on a spiritual level that I think are hard to quantify, but we sort of tried to pull some of those out in the book.
1: I was laughing when I was reading about the ironed napkins moment and I'm because, you know, I don't even iron my clothes unless, I mean, it is bad. And today's one of those days I probably should have, but how we don't take time for these little things. And I know some people are hearing, wait, mm-hmm. you
2: iron napkins? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Right, right, right. Isn't that funny? Yeah, no. And I think that's one of those things, you know, I'm not the greatest. In fact, I've taught my daughters how to iron napkins. So that's how my iron, my napkins get ironed, Um, only because they do it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that, um, you know, for special occasions some of us do a dispense, too, on how we were raised and, um, you know, what our moms did or didn't do and things that we, we want to incorporate. But, yeah, no, time It seems like it's always a factor as well. Um, so we have to kind of be realistic, too, in terms of just how far can you go and what are your expectations. And, um, again, really recognizing that it's not the fact that you have this incredibly gorgeous you know, Instagrammable table, but that you have a, a family and you, you can be hospitable to others in a way that they're not going to find anywhere else. They're not going to find it at a restaurant, and and yet so many of us are, are starving for that kind of communion and, and um, contact with others. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's just such a, a vital piece that, again, we can get carried away with the details without realizing kind of the deeper significance of what's there.
1: You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. Shout out to all of the new people listening on our new networks. I want to dive in with Carrie Gress, my guest today, the author of The Theology of the Home. In the book, as you're talking about nourishment and some of the other themes, you mention how... Aristotle, the philosopher, talks about how we become beastly when we live outside of communion with others. And and looking back at my own childhood growing up in the mountains and kind of some of my favorite moments of being gathered around the campfire, your theme of light really stood out to me how sometimes not just food, but light really actually do pull us together. And there's a story even about a power outage at one point in the book mm-hmm. where all of a sudden there's such joy surrounding the little bit of light that was brought into the darkness there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that the power outage was, was my story. We, we went for four days without power and, you know, I mean, obviously it's, A minor hardship. We were fine. You know, it was was March, so it wasn't burning and it wasn't freezing. The weather was was, um, fine without uh, all of our um, heat or air conditioning. But um, yeah, it was just, it was striking to me how much we just huddled around the light, you know, depending on where the the candles or the flashlights were. That's where we all were. And um, I had just never really thought about how much light pulls people together in darkness because, of course, we don't, as Americans, de- deal with darkness very often. We just switch on a light and, you know, we don't even think about how um, almost unnatural it is <laughs> or how historically anomalous that that really is. Um, and yet it is, you know, I love the campfire examples and people camping and just, uh, you know, how it is that you're not going to just go wandering off when it's pitch black because you can't see anything. Um so yeah, how much just being around the fire it really is such a, a vital piece of, of human nature. And in fact, one of my my daughters had called me. Um, she she made this totem pole, and I mentioned it in the book, um, out of like a paper towel container, um, the, you know, the center, the, the center of the paper towel, and um, put all of our family members on it, and she made me a pink moth. And I asked her, why am I the moth? And she said, well, <laughs> you are up after everybody goes to bed, and you're up with one light on in the house, you're still writing. And um, I just thought that's perfect. But I didn't realize how moth-like all humans are until we have that experience of the power going out and just how much we flock to that and the importance of light in, in all of our daily lives. I'll
1: never forget we have ha- really experienced a number of fires here in Southern California right. and right. when I was a little girl I remember there was a f- massive fire and we were kind of waiting to hear whether or not we were going to be evacuated and there were a few days of darkness and smoke and ashes before we were evacuated and our neighbors had this great grand generator yet every everyone ended up flocking over to our house where we had no (laughs) generator, a couple of flashlights, but some really great board games. And Uh, mm -hmm. that comfort that was brought in by the time we had together and that little bit of light, it keeps bringing me back to that quote from Aristotle and the idea of how, when we are separated from human connection, which were created for that communion, we become like beasts. You know, we could be, You know, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. the most wealthy person separated from all the suffering in the world, or we could Mm -hmm. choose to be connected to each other.
2: Yeah, no, and I I love that quote too. It's it's always stuck with me because, and I love the flip side of it where he says we either like beasts or we're like gods. And you can see someone like Saint Benedict of um, Norcia, um, who you know he went off and lived in a cave for two years, um, and he was becoming like God that experience. So it takes someone and an incredible amount of holiness to become a, um, a hermit or hermitess, um, you know, the Desert Fathers and all of those. Um, so you can see the sanctifying nature of being separated away from the community, but at the same time, it's very few of us are called to that. Um, and I think this is where we're also seeing the fruit, or really the negative fruit, of what happens when we don't have these strong family connections and people feel isolated. In fact, there was an article um, I think in Wired, uh, maybe about a year ago, that was talking about how people feel more at home in their car than they do at their actual homes. And um, so, I think it speaks this I, to this idea of how it is that we have become so disconnected, and um, our homes almost feel like a burden to us in, in so many respects. So, how do we glass back at at the family? I mean, this is really what has been under attack is the family. But how do we bring go back to that idea? Of making people more human again, and to be known better, and live in community, and really thrive in that environment, instead of feeling like we always have to sort of be rushing away from it, and uh, you know, headed to see what's on our on our phones. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a vital piece, I think that that notion of the importance of community.
1: You mentioned earlier about how we can't always invite someone to church, but we can invite them into our own home. This is part of the reason why Theology of the Home is such a powerful book, because it really reemphasizes, well, what ideas, what temperaments need to be present within the home to make people feel welcome, regardless of how much you have uh, to kind of build up in terms of looks and aesthetics But what stood out is that intercessory prayer, we can open the home, but then we also have to pray for those people who we encounter. And you tell a story about a couple um, who were prayed before by a religious sister in their family for a number of years. Can you talk about Ken and Tina a little bit?
2: Yeah, no, I think this was one of those situations where um, someone had prayed for them intensely and then, you know, really ended up changing their lives over time, and um, really came back to the faith because of those graces of that relationship. But um, yeah, no, I think that that's another key piece, that it's easy to feel, and you know, all of this, I think, has to be brought into the context, too, of just looking at the the drama that we're seeing unfold in our world today. Um, there's so many challenges, and I think we can get really overwhelmed by it, and the theology of home is one of those things where it's like, it brings it back down to what can we do on a very fundamental level that's right here at our fingertips instead of feeling like we have to go out of our homes to, to change the world. Um, and, I, and I think that is kind of at the heart of, again, making our homes available to people and being hospitable. Um, and, you know, just having rich conversations with people and talking about ideas and, you know, putting the phones away and having a, a conversation. Years ago, my husband and I used to host dinners and we would invite different couples down and we'd ask everybody to bring one or two questions that they could ask the whole group, nothing political, but something either about a book or, um, you know, topic in history or something. And just, it it was great because it just started our conversation off. And, of course, it never followed a a clear trajectory of where we thought the conversation would go. But that was really the fun of it, was just having a conversation that didn't involve politics, didn't involve sports, didn't involve anything where we were, you know, things that were on the nightly news. And um, I think those are very powerful experiences. But absolutely, there there has to be a sense of prayer, because an intercession, and we can't really give what we don't have. So if we aren't really living the faith ourselves, we know that conversions are really a fruit of our own faith. So if we're not living it ourselves, then it's incredibly hard to pass it along to others. Um, and so that's always my first advice, is if you're trying to bring others back to the church and you know we have to walk that walk very deeply ourselves and then from that depth really is where we we begin to see the fruit in others
0: Timmery will be right back send her a tweet at Timmery that's t-i-m-m-e-r-i-e you're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics.
1: some months ago on Trending, you heard the episode where I interviewed Dr. Carrie Grass on her book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, talking about toxic femininity. If you didn't hear the episode, you need to go back and listen to this incredible piece of writing that she has contributed to the conversation having to do with femininity in our modern culture. Yet again, she's back at it with a new book called The Theology of the Home, and it's really I think going to make waves in the conversation about women, the home, and evangelization. Some might say it's just more fluff added on to decorating and the house debate, but I don't think that's what it is. Can you share with us about it?
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, this is a a book that I feel like is really a fruit of of a long journey for me. Um, I have a PhD in philosophy, and I spent a lot of time studying logic and philosophy and ideas and really wanting to just, how do you reach into the culture and change it with a lot of these ideas? And, of course, you can imagine my disgust when I realized that we live in a post-logical culture. Our culture doesn't really use logic anymore. We're very emotive and emotional. And so, I i mean, I fundamentally had to go back to the drawing board and say, how do we change the hearts of women if we can't really use logic and reason anymore? And this is not to say that women aren't logical or reasonable. It's just to say that's not what's driving cultural trends. So I, you know, for years have spent time... Looking at how do women get motivated? What is it that gets them to move and to change and excited about things? And of course, when I wrote those books anti mary I, I looked deeply into just how much it was popular culture that changed women, you know, things like celebrities speaking out and magazines and um, fashion industry, all of those things really influenced us. And then we don't realize how much philosophy is actually in those. You know, Karl Marx is all over some of these mm-hmm. ideas. This is why we're seeing socialism crop up again. And yet, women love magazines. I love magazines. I, I remember when I had you know four very small children and I had ten minutes to myself, I would grab a magazine. My mother-in-law gave me the subscription to Real Simple and... It just felt like a moment when I could just get a little bit of a break um, and just spend some time uh, in those pages of Real Simple. So I, I think that there's a lot to be said for the power of magazines and visuals and ideas. Um, women also love to we love to improve ourselves. We love tips. We love get, making things easier on ourselves. Um, how do we learn new things? And um, so I, I think this book really is a culmination of that. How do we offer a book? How do we offer these beautiful ideas? Without Marx, how do we offer them, you know, without Margaret Sanger's influence in them? So that's really the goal of it, is to sort of say, we have these incredible ideas, and we have this beautiful faith, and this is how it looks on the page. Um, This is a beautiful thing. You know, this is Catholicism sort of on offense instead of just playing defense, which, you know, we've been doing for a long time. We have these incredible arguments, and yet if people don't have a way to access them, then we're not necessarily helping them. So I, I would love to see a change in conversation in the way that we evangelize as women, how we evangelize other women, and do it through things that women are naturally drawn towards, which is things like our homes and, uh, you know, discussions about our faith and decorating. And, you know, these are things that, again, they're not going to happen at a parish level, and they shouldn't happen at parish level. We don't want sermons about decorating, <laughs> but we also know that our homes are important and that there's so many things that happen there um, that are holy and good and preparing us for heaven. So to neglect that is also not healthy either. So that's really kind of the, the philosophy behind this project and, and really why I'm so excited about it, because I finally feel like I've, I've found the way to talk to women and speak to women in a way that's going to um, touch their hearts and not just try to get at them with intellectual arguments.
1: Throughout the book, you talk, Dr. Gress, about the idea of order, and it's juxtaposed really to what you're talking about in this kind of radical feminist ideology that is really uh, necessary in order for Marxism, right, communism, socialism to really be mm-hmm. implemented. And the book, in talking about the material world, acknowledges like we're, we are both body and soul, and the material world, mm-hmm. material world really doesn't matter, um, but but yet there's this movement right now toward order and decluttering. And it's actually a really neat moment because it's so in line with the Christian tradition at the same time. And you talk Mm -hmm. about this in the book.
2: Yeah, no, I I think again, these, I, these trends that we're seeing are, are coming again from this desire of the human heart that we all have for order and proportion and, Um, things to be, you know, to make sense and not be in total chaos and mayhem. And I think people are tired of sort of living in that. And it seems like, how how do we get that back? Well, we can bring it back in our our homes by bringing order back to our our lives and not feeling overwhelmed by too much stuff. And, of course, you know, we do live in a culture. We've never had a culture like this where we have so much stuff where, you know, we rent space so that we can just store stuff that we're not using. And, you know, this is not an, an unusual Situation. I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying this is historically totally unprecedented. So, how do we not become slaves to these kinds of things? Um, And and I think begin to sort of see what order is. And that's where this, you know, this impulse from um, Marie Kondo and all of this cleanliness and decluttering is is kind of coming from. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's fascinating. But the, the connection again has to be made back to why do we have this desire and what's missing in our lives? And I think it's very easy to look at the culture and look at these beautiful magazines and look at beautiful books and um, beautiful homes that have been transformed in one episode and really just see these are very superficial realities. And yet, unless there's a depth there, these things will not last. They won't give what what we, we hope they will give. Um, they're very superficial. And so we have to get back to what is it that the home fundamentally is supposed to bring us. And it really is that sense of being known and our life makes sense, and we have a mission, and we have a a purpose. And children in particular, you know, they need that kind of rhythm and order and stability that comes from adults who are ordered, who understand this. So it it can't remain on the superficial. It has to be sort of bleed into the spiritual as well, and and vice versa. We have to live on both of these levels. Um, And that's what the culture is not going to be happy with until it starts seeing that these things have to go hand in hand.
1: That is Dr. Carrie Gress. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. We're discussing her new book, The Theology of the Home, which you can find out more about at radiotrending.com, where we have links to where you can buy it on places such as Amazon we are talking about this theme of order dr grass and i can't help but think that sometimes we try myself included so hard to kind of have order and control with everything around Mm -hmm. us and i even think of new parents and how often new parents you know have want to have that perfect sleep schedule and that perfect birth Mm -hmm. plan and you know all Mm -hmm. of these elements put into into place yet sometimes our desire to control and have perfect order on things and actually, we're getting it wrong. We're turning it into a material type of order, rather than mm-hmm. kind of putting our soul in order, putting our sexuality, mm-hmm. our morality in order, mm-hmm. which will ultimately lead us to God.
2: Yeah. No, I think that's an incredible point, and and that's again part of what the home teaches us is just you can't control everything, and um, certainly children teach us us that in spades I, I you know these. I always laugh at new moms and I knew one woman, she's like, I'm never going to give my daughter a pacifier. And then finally she's at the end of her rope, you know, five months in and she gave her daughter a pacifier. And the next thing, you know, she, this little baby had to have a pacifier in her mouth and one in each hand. <laughs> she just <laughs> went from nothing to, you know, all of a sudden this, she had to have all of them. And I, I think that so many of us have those experiences where we say, oh, well, I'll never do that. And then, of course, we end up doing it, and it, it's, um, you know it either works really well or it just goes it's sort of into overkill. So, yeah, I think that that's, again, that Christian balance of we have to bring order. And, you know, even if we look at—I I love to look at the examples of religious orders in this. Um, They have incredible order in their lives, and they also have this great capacity. They don't live like slobs. They take care of what they have, Um, and they're very intentional about it. Very intentional, and you know these are these are gifts God's given us, and we need to take care of these things. So we don't ever go to a convent and see it look like it's in a shambles or some sort of a shack. You know, it's just very well cared for because these women know. This is a gift from God, and they're the curators of it. So, yeah, yes, absolutely. There's that order element, but there also is that element of life is messy and sometimes totally, un, you know, out of our control, and we just have to roll with it in in a way that we realize these material things are not; they're not meant to dictate our moods and our behaviors and how it is that we we act. But we're supposed to sort of have a capacity to circumvent them. And, you know, these things come up all the time. I mean, even we're talking with every everyday moms, you know, they talk about how I, they just go back and clean the same mess up over and over and over again. <laughs> and, and, you know, just the, the fatigue and the exhaustion and, um, you know, the frustration of those kinds of things. And yet it, that's not fundamentally what the home is about. And I think that, that again, re, refocusing ourselves to be reminded of we are trying to make a place where God dwells. And part of that means that we're not in control, but he's ultimately in control of of what's happening in our lives.
1: A theme that you talk about in the book is how in those little mundane, or you could even say annoying moments, it's an opportunity (laughs) to love the people before you. And that transforms you.
2: No, absolutely. Um, Years ago, I had a a confessor say, I live close to I-95 and i saying something like, you know, I lost my temper on the freeway again or something. And he said, well, you need to remember that those are the opportunities where you're really made holy. So, of course, the next day, my husband did something that annoyed me. And I looked at him and I said, you are making me really holy right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was one of these moments that, of course, he knew what I meant and, and you know, made both of us laugh. Um, but I think that there's there's so much to that in terms of just what are we getting uptight and fixated on, and what can we let go as unimportant. And, you know, obviously, we as parents, too, there's and trying to deal with children and raise children. There are going to be things that we should get upset about and be, you know, very exacting about when it comes to moral behavior. Um, but at the same time, we also have to recognize just things are things and not let those things constantly weigh us down. But in fact, recognize that there are opportunities for holiness, whether it is abandonment to what has just happened and God's will, or even just the capacity to try and correct them when they need to be corrected. So, yeah, I think it's all of those challenges, and especially the mundane. Even when, you know, how many times do I have to do the dishes today? That kind of exhaustion, I, I always sort of reach deeper and just think, okay, God, I'm offering this up to you because this is the last thing I want to do right now is empty this dishwasher again.
0: You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timmery.
1: Dr. Carrie Gress is my guest she has a PhD in philosophy and is the author of a number of books including the anti-mary exposed and now theology of the home she co-authors with a number of other incredible women bring this I would say really a tabletop piece that you could give I'm going to say this here as a truly a Christmas gift to a woman in your family it doesn't have to be incredibly like hardcore Catholic because I think it's something beautiful to look at and it actually actually Actually, the book, although you can read it beginning to end, Dr. Gress, I actually think you could pick it up and kind of take a few pieces of solace from it and, you know, little pieces uh, that will kind of plant a seed in you that you can pick up and put down now and again as well for those who might not read it beginning to end, but have it on their coffee table.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. That was the idea was, again, sort of short meditations that... you can pick up and set down if you don't have a lot of time, you know, it's not, this, we don't want people feeling feeling guilty that they didn't finish the book kind of thing. Um, but we also made it small enough that we really wanted it to fit in, into a purse or a bag so that people could take it with them. Um, but they didn't, you know, it's not some hulking thing that takes up all the space on on the coffee table as well. So um, it's kind of a combination of things. But yeah, absolutely. We I've been amazed that who's interested in this book, um, you know, most of my books are very Catholic, and so I have very limited readership in terms of extended family and friends who are, aren't faithful Catholics, and so it's it's fa- fascinating to me to see that this book in particular has resonated with all kinds of people who, uh, you know, don't necessarily practice their faith. But again, they love their homes, and they love the idea of it, and they they want to draw closer to God, and so they, they I think they see this as something that's really intriguing. Um, so absolutely, I think it's a it's going to be a great gift for people.
1: Let's talk about the cozy movement and this desire to have comfort in your house. Whether it's that cute, I know mean, you you see this with the teenagers wearing you know the big um, pajamas, like the animal type pajamas, mm-hmm. the footsies and everything. Mm-hmm. You know the mermaid blankets to the cozy, uh, you know book sitting areas and blankets. You name it. There's this desire right. for comfort.
2: Yeah, no. Even the um, the pumpkin spice craze. I mean, that's, oh, I've been fascinated watching that this year because, of course, it was just Starbucks and their pumpkin spice latte, and now there are like whole sections of stores that are featuring <laughs> pumpkin spice products. It's really gotten a little bit out of hand. But no, I I think that this is is another one of those elements that's it's really fun that people you know they want comfort in their lives, and of course, there's the the Huey. Um, um, movement that's out of the Netherlands where it's really cold and very dark for half the year and they, they're focused on this kind of idea of how do we make things cozy. Um, and I grew up in Oregon where it is wet and cold all the time, you know, throughout the winter. And so cozy was just something that I, I grew up with. and I didn't really realize it was a craze. It was just normal. Um, until I met my husband, and I talk about this in the book, but um, he's from Texas and Arizona, and um, so he just had never heard people get so excited about being cozy before. <laughs> you know, cozy blankets and pillows and all of these kinds of things. Um, but I, I do think that there's something wonderful about you know you you don't cozy is something that has to happen at home, and um, it's going to happen with materials and textures, but also with flavors and smells and scents and um, all of those kinds of things. So. Again, you could get very fixated on the material aspects of that, but I think that it also brings with it this idea of being cared for um, and being loved and someone knowing you know, what it is that you're going to really appreciate and what is going to make you feel like you're cared for. And that's kind of a, a lost art um, in, in many respects. So I think that that's part of what the, the cozy trend is really putting out in the culture at this point
1: you know there's this longing for safety and comfort and i think of that quote by pope benedict where he talked about how the world offers you comfort but you weren't made for comfort you were made for greatness Mm -hmm. and yet comfort is so important that we have that sanctuary Mm -hmm. in our home that's a place of warmth and of faith yet we can't just sit in that comfortable pretty little Mm -hmm. house and
2: isolate ourselves Right. right well and that's we we know the comfort has to happen to a child for a child that the child has to be comforted and and have that capacity to sort of com- be able to comfort themselves i mean that comes from the parents um and that has to be something that's passed on but if a child never learns that then it's very hard for them to go out into the world in a, in a way you know like a mature adult because if they don't they've missed those pieces developmentally so yes absolutely this is comfort isn't meant to be something that um uh, we're so focused on, you know, when we when we become adults, but it's more of a platform from which we know we're loved, we know that God the Father loves us and is taking care of us, and that it's in that that we can then be courageous and, and leave our homes. And I always think of that, too, when I come home. I mean, that's the best part about coming home after either traveling or speaking event or something, is just, you know, being back with my children and um, all the comforts of home. So it's it goes both ways. I know I have to leave, but I know I also can come back and be restored again in that. And so I think there's that balance. And we can see this in the spiritual life, too, where, you know, there's obviously consolation and desolation. And it's during those times, you know, St. Ignatius of Loyola talks about this a lot, those times of desolation. where we have to remember how it felt in consolation. And it's that memory of it that we're supposed to keep with us. And And so you can see, again, how... The the material and the spiritual are very united because I know when I'm on my way home and I'm exhausted and I just want to, you know, I've gone to the airport, but I still have a long drive home and I just want to get a hotel room and go to sleep. But I just think, no, I just want to get home to my kids in my own bed. And, And that's what really is what's driving me. And I think we can do that on a spiritual level too. If I know what it's like to be in consolation with God, where Know, I feel very connected with him, so I'm going to strive for that through this desolation and, and patiently wait this out, because I know this is also a key piece of my spiritual growth. So, again, I, I just love how it's how much is connected between the spiritual and, and the material on all of these different levels. That's Dr.
1: Carrie Gress talking about her book, Theology of Home. One theme we cannot go leaving undiscussed is the theme of hospitality that I personally love and I find that is a sort of a lost art and various cultures still maintain this, but just making people feel welcome, attending to the things they might need and then entering into that level of comfort in the space that you provide for them.
2: Yeah, no, I think this is just a vital, a vital piece. Again, we can totally overdo it um, and we can miss the fact that just even our our personalities and our families um, offer kind of wealth that we're a warmth, rather, that we're not aware of. And yet, there is something wonderful about uh, a beautifully cooked meal and um, you know someone who's been conscientious about your your own needs and wants from when you enter the door to to when you leave, and just that kind of service that we can show to others. Um, I, I, when we have those experiences, I think we always leave feeling edified. And feeling like a a better person than we were when we stepped into them. So, absolutely, hospitality. I think is um, really a key gift that we have the capacity to give others. And I love the story where I'm not
1: sure which one of you talks about the tea set. Was that you about the what? The tea set.
2: Oh yes, (laughs) yeah, yes, yeah. She wanted to get a tea set and thought that that would make her a great hostess. And of course, you know, again, that's the trimming, but um, that's you got to have the soul that goes with it and that real desire. Um, to serve others and to to want to give, bring goodness into their lives.
1: That story made me laugh so hard because to her, like being mature, having this tea set, like this was the thing to do for her. (laughs) And in some ways, I I didn't know where it was going. And first she was showing like, there has to be a lot more than having the tea set and, you know, kind of being pretentious. But for me, I actually, the art in a sense of kind of whether it's tea or making drinks, making that pumpkin spice, whatever it might be. I have found people who don't even like tea all of a sudden go, oh, this is so nice because you just get them the cup of tea, you offer them the different mm-hmm. flavors. And at mm-hmm. least me personally, it's been a way to do something very simple when someone enters the home to kind of help lighten up the
2: conversation and provide a place mm-hmm. for people to be. Yeah. And I think that's what it all comes back to is, you know, manners and all of that is, is fundamentally about making people feel comfortable. And if we can do that, that that opens so many more doors than, um, you know, if we're leaving people in a place where they feel awkward and, and uncomfortable. So absolutely, Cup of Tea can go a very long way.
1: Well, I know that you have a lot of new up-and-coming changes in your life right now, but what are we expecting on the horizon as your next
2: project? <laughs> yes, well, that's a great question. I'm I'm actually expecting my fifth child, so... Um, I gotta focus on just being a mom for a while, which is kinda nice. I haven't done that. Um, I haven't had a baby in five years and so um I'm excited about kind of nesting and uh preparing for this child that I I never dreamed would come to fruition. So um so we'll see. But yeah, I, I'm I'm excited about this book though, of course. Um this is just a really fun project to be working on. And it's nice to write a book where people don't get angry. <laughs> I just get angry letters and reviews from this one. So um, I think I'm going to savor that for a while, but um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't have any other big projects on the horizon, so we'll see what happens um, once uh, this baby shows up, and then we evaluate. So you can find Dr. Carrie Gress's
1: new book, Theology of Home, at theologyofhome.com. It's available on Amazon and other places where you might buy Catholic books, such as Catholic bookstores. Always want to support our local Catholic bookstores for other people to meander into. Where else can people find you and your regular work?
2: Um, you know, I've carriegress.com dot com um, is where I keep most of you know the articles that I've written and and uh, just interviews and different things are are there. And I should add, I um, we are actually opening up a, a merchandising store to go with theology of home, um, which you know I I can't believe I forgot to mention this because it's been such so prevalent in my life. But um, we're we've been having a great time developing a line of products, um, things like candles. Handbags. Um, we're working on some posters and um, frameable posters for kids' playrooms. We're working on cutting boards. Uh, so we're going to be rolling out projects or uh, products rather um, for the next um, four or five months. And that's all going to be at theologyofhome.com as well.
1: Wonderful. You can learn more about Dr. Carrie Gress, her book, and all of her work and other interviews she's done here with us on trending at radiotrending.com.
0: This has been Trending with Timmery. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes.